Welcome to Maximal Being, a GI doc and ICU nurse that break down the science so you can exceed your gut health, nutrition and fitness goals. So, let's smash the bro science and optimizing your health with your hosts, Doc Mock and RN Graham. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here with the Maximal Being team, Sharif Ultrafit, RN Graham, and joining us today is GI Jeff. I'm here in Cleveland, Ohio. Today, we're going to be talking about physics in action. I'm talking about powerlifting and Olympic lifting. Um, I'm Doc Mock. I'm, I'm your host today. I'm a advanced endoscopist here in Cleveland, Ohio. That's a GI doctor that does uh, things mostly with cancer. I also specialize in gut health and nutrition. Also joining us today is R.N. Graham. Hello, Maximal Beings. It's R.N. Graham here. I am a ICU nurse down here in South Florida uh, and an ex-physique competitor. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll pass it over to Sharif Ultrafit. What's up, Maximal Beings? My name is Sharif Ultrafit. I am a National Academy Sports Medicine Master Trainer. I've been in the fitness industry for about eight years now. Um, glad to be here for today's topic. Jeff? Good evening. How's it going, folks? I'm Jeff Costanzo, GI Jeff. Uh, I'm also a GI doctor. I met Doc Mock in our training several years ago. Uh, so I'm also a gastroenterologist uh, specializing in digestive diseases, and I tend to spend all my free time in the gym. I got mostly into CrossFit about nine years ago. I did get certified as an L1 trainer in CrossFit, which has included anything from gymnastics to Olympic weightlifting. So hopefully today I'll be able to focus a little bit on the Olympic weightlifting aspects and training and techniques and things like that. So back to Doc Mock. Okay. So, you know, like GI Jeff said, we, we met back in uh, beautiful Camden, New Jersey, the most dangerous city in America during our training time. Um, it was an amazing experience. I think we were trained, you know, better than a lot of the other programs that I've interacted with uh, over time. I actually did my first endoscopy with GI Jeff. It was like a ceremonial handing over of the baton. Uh, where he handed me the scope. And, you know, we from that point in time, we we definitely um, hashed out GI issues on the nerdier end, but, you know, also talked about weightlifting. And he was one of my inspirations to get into a little bit more of the uh, the weightlifting side at the time I was doing more running. Um, today, you know, we're focusing on, on um, Olympic weightlifting, but I thought it would be good to just um, really talk about, um, you know, why somebody would decide to get into compound movements and weightlifting and what is the mechanical infrastructure for which, you know, we move the barbell. Um, the, the general consensus is that power is, is king with Olympic weightlifting and with barbell movement. And as we know from, from physics, you know, power is defined by the ability to exert force over a velocity and velocity is distance over time. And so the faster you're able to move the barbell and the smaller the distance and the more force that somebody's able to generate, the more power you're able to exert and therefore the more power you're able to lift. Um, there are certain tests that are available in the gym to test power. And so I'm gonna turn it back over to um, GI Jeff to uh, talk to us a little bit about our test for power. GI yeah, Jeff, you with us? Oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear him. Uh, I got frozen for a second there. Can you yeah, hear me? Yeah, 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 you're back. There you go. 
Uh-oh. Am I back? You're back. All right, sorry. Technical difficulties. So I, I missed the last, like, probably 20 seconds of what you were saying. Yeah, so uh, we were just talking about the best way to um, test uh, compound movements and uh, test power, which is really the, the root of a, a, Olympic weightlifting. So how, uh, would you as an L1 CrossFit trainer, and then we'll go over to Sharif UltraFit as well. How would you as, as a, a professional trainer test somebody's power in the gym? So testing power, th this is tricky. There's a lot of physics terms that we need to kind of unpack here, right? So when you talk about power in general, it's the ability to do work over time. So the whole idea is that you can kind of mobilize the weight, generate the force to move that and do that as quickly as possible. That's sort of the, the encapsulation of power. So when you're talking about Olympic weightlifting, you're dealing with a barbell that weighs X amount and it's not moving, it's stationary in the floor. And the ability that you have to sort of, you know, pick it up and move it through space in a short amount of time is what we kind of measure. Now, obviously that's, there's a weight involved there, but it really does boil down to mechanics and physics, which is why you see at the professional level, the Olympic weightlifters that compete are not necessarily the most brute, strong people. They have just flawless technique and they know how to leverage their body properly to move an incredible amount of weight relative to their body weight. Sharif? Um, absolutely, I agree. So power is speed versus strength, right? So it's pretty much moving as much weight as you can for as fast as possible. But, you know, it sounds it sounds easy, but it requires a lot of muscle, different muscle recruitments and being able to use your body, as Jeff said, for leverage. Right. So um, it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of uh, per perfect, if not very close to perfect form. Right. So you don't injure yourself or throw your back or whatever it is using that much weight. So I agree. It's, um, it's a very it's a very simple movement as far as like. What are the three main exercises? Squats, bench presses, and deadlifts. Um, I mean, there's more, but these are the main three. So the movement itself, it's simple, but the com the complex part is being able to use your body to move that through space in as little time as possible without hurting yourself. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about just sort of the nature of what is an actual compound movement what is it that makes that movement quote unquote compound and that basically is referring to multiple muscle groups sort of working together at the same time right so when you talk about these lifts for the most part you know even when you set up before you even physically lift the bar you are under tension you know you have your lats that are engaged to hold the bar close to your body because the closer you are to your core the more efficient your movement is and then, you know, you have your glutes, your posterior back muscles, your hamstrings that are all under tension before you even begin the movement. So you are using multiple muscle groups simultaneously. And not only that is it with the, with the steps of these complex lifts, you're teaching them to fire in sequence. So you're learning sort of a deliberate predetermined pattern of these movements. Now, you can do this for the sake of doing the movement because I think it's just really fun. But. The, there is practical application to that. So if you're if you're an athlete who competes in sports, which you can argue is sort of the top of the pyramid of why we do anything, like to sort of play sports, there are like direct applications of these sort of neural pathways and explosive movements that can translate into 
moving faster on the football field or, you know, exploding through whatever kind of motion and swimming faster, running faster, et cetera, et cetera. So in that regard, it's sort of using multiple muscle groups simultaneously, training the nervous system to fire them, develop that explosive power, and then apply that power to sport. So it sounds like a lot of neurological adaptation, which is like what we train for most of, in most um, sports, right? You're training the brain to fire and ask certain muscles to be recruited to perform a certain movement as fast as possible. So it makes a difference between a normal human being and an athlete that gets paid millions of dollars is the ability to um, recruit all that within seconds, not even seconds, less than seconds. What, what component of, of, you know, being able to fire these muscles, you know, over time is with repetition and increasing your weight over time and just getting the movements down and what component is genetic? You know, if somebody like RN Graham has a vertical leap over a Mack truck at baseline, he's probably going to be able to snatch a little bit better than I am, right? Where I can jump over, you know, like a turtle in the road. So what do you guys think? How much is genetic and how much can you actually train into and learn? Anybody want to take you want to start? Yeah. I, I think the I think these movements are tremendously nuanced and require a lot of training. Now, when it comes to how much of that is genetic, I couldn't possibly give you a percentage there. You know, I think that these are what we call quarter extremity movements, right? Which means that the power of the movement itself begins in the core of your body. And then as you progress through the movement, it transmits out through your extremities. So, I mean, if you're sort of physically, genetically built to have those fast twitch muscle fibers, you know, as opposed to the slow twitch kind of runner's body type things, you may be more, you know, inclined to have a more explosive third portion of these Olympic lifts and things like that. So of course there's got to be some element of genetic gifts when it comes to this, but these movements are so nuanced that I think training is a tremendous part of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so speak- go ahead, Aaron. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Uh, speaking on, gen- on the genetic aspect of it, um, do you find that these movements are generally more difficult for people that are taller, longer legs, longer arms? Um, and how does that impact, you know, the movement itself? So you're actually, that's a pretty good question. In general, you'll find that a lot of the sort of like high level Olympic weightlifters are not really super tall because they have to move the, the bar generally more through space. Either that, or once they get the bar to a certain height off the ground, they have a farther distance to drop underneath it. So it's not necessarily mechanically advantageous to be really tall and to be an Olympic weightlifter. You want to kind of be more compact, closer to the center of gravity and things like that. So, yeah, you do see sort of a certain body type when it comes to Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that there was a guy in 2019, Cha Benny, who did, you know, a, a study. And in that study, he trained Olympic weightlifters over a time period. And he looked at different metrics of performance. One was body composition, which he saw a definite improvement in body composition and strength. People were able to lift more over time. But the one thing that did not change over the study time period was actually what he termed physical fitness. And he measured that by their ability to perform a vertical jump, which he said in his article was kind of the best way to measure that ability to exert power. And so that appears, at least to some degree, to be fixed um, in terms of your, your genetics. Now, I did also pull some research 
and that, you know, they looked at professional athletes and how much they were able to improve their vertical leap over time. And on average, you can only improve it at about three to five inches, five being the upper end of that normal limit. So I think there is some predisposed uh, genetic disposition to be able to be good at these compound movements. Um, now, in terms of compound movements, the, the, the tried and true argument of why not to do them is you're going to hurt yourself. What can you do to stay safe in the gym, practically speaking, and does the research show that you actually do hurt yourself over time? So I, I guess I'll start off with R.N. Graham on this one. Well, you know, the thing about uh, any type of lifting, whether it be compound movements, whether it be Olympic movements, um, or whether you're just doing isolation, it's all basically form over function. Um, and the fact of the matter is, if you do execute something properly, uh, keep pride out of it um, and focus, you're always going to be uh, less risk of injury. Now, there is always the, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, the pissing contest in the gym <laughs> where you're going to see someone doing something and you're going to be like, well, if they can do it, I can do it, too. Um, and I think that gets in the way of a lot of things um, and leads to a lot of injuries. Now, I'm not necessarily, I have very, very long arms, very, very long legs. Um, so a lot of these movements um, that I see people doing heavier weights with, it is more difficult for me. So I generally speaking, stay away from um, some of those Olympic lifts with heavier weight. I do enjoy them because let's face it, they're fun. Um, they're awesome to do. Uh, they're a lot of fun to do. And it really helps you in the gym because you do generate a lot of power doing these things. Um, but to me, it's all about form over function. If you do it properly, you have less chance of getting injured, no matter whether it's CrossFit, um, you know, or anything else. Um, so I'm going to send it over to GI Jeff because he, you know, you're the CrossFit trainer. Um, why do you think that people are getting injured in the gym um, when it comes to CrossFit? I really need to completely echo and agree with everything that you were just saying. Um I can't tell you how many times I've seen these big dudes come into the CrossFit gym and they are more inclined to just overload a barbell at a completely inappropriately early time. So I think it does boil mm -hmm. down to technique first, then weight, because if you are adding weight with improper technique, that's when you're going to get hurt. So even something as simple as just an air squat with no barbell on your shoulders or nothing like that, you know, you do enough of these with an improper technique, you're going to hurt your knees. But if you know the proper mechanics of it, that's the most important thing. So we also tell people, even for example, with the air squat, if we're going to do 50 of them for, you know, as part of the workout, it's much more important that you do them properly than if you do them quickly and then move on because that's when you're going to hurt yourself. And I've seen these guys overload the barbell inappropriately before they actually learn how to properly do it. And that's when people get hurt. So Technique, 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 and proper mechanics, I think, is the most important part. Now, listen, you can roll your ankle walking, like, down this walk into your mailbox. I mean, you know, so <laughs> the whole idea is that you kind of control your risk. You know what I mean? You learn how to properly do things, and you just sort of, you know, you you work within your lane. And then once you feel like you have all that kind of down pat, then you can kind of start to stress yourself with regards to heavier weight loads and so on and so forth. Sharif, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree anymore with you guys. Um, I'm all about form in uh, whether it's any type of lifting or any really type of sport. Form is the base um, of everything. So if you don't have a good base, 
whatever you build is going to collapse sooner or later. So practice proper form, and you can only do that with lighter weights and thousands of repetition. You'll get there. Um, I'm not saying that, I mean, listen, there's a talented guy that's going to be a little bit superior because of genetics, maybe height, weight, strength, whatever it is. But just because you're talented, that does not mean you don't have to work hard still. Um, and if you're not given the genetics, if you work hard enough at it and stay consistent, you will get there. It'll require a little more work than others, but you still get there. But the thing is, don't chase the numbers. Most people are worried about getting instant uh, results. Um, they don't want to go through the journey. They don't want to trust the process. So they chase the numbers rather than the form. When you really, if you have proper form, your numbers will go up automatically without you even knowing. So concentrate on the form, forget the numbers. I know in some sports like Olympic lifting or CrossFit, it's, it is a numbers game, but you got to get the bases right first and then chase the numbers. Now, can you two actually talk about the importance of flexibility and stretching when it comes to um, staving off injuries, especially when it comes to something like CrossFit? Um, and how often, uh, well, how long do you think someone should be warming up prior to doing these Olympic lifts or these compound movements? Um, it's, it's, it's a very important part of the game, absolutely. So it's not all about lifting because when, whenever you lift, you're tightening up all your muscles, right? So at some point, you need to loosen up those muscles, bring them back to full range. Now, you got to understand also what type of stretching you need. Like prior to your workout, you need a dynamic stretch as opposed to pulse workout where it's more of a static, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a static stretch. But definitely warming up and stretching, especially before powerlifting, where you're lifting excessive amount of weights, you definitely need to loosen up the body, get the blood flow, and let the body know that there's some sort of weight coming get prepared to carry that. What do you think, Jeff? I totally agree. And, you know, sort of anecdotally, what I'll do is I'll, I'll tell you, so I've been, you know, doing some kind of athletic activity for my whole life, but CrossFit in particular for almost no, nine years now. But my own journey through it is that initially, you know, you start it and it's new and it's exciting and it's varied every day and that's fun. And then I'm realizing that during these workouts, like, well, you know, I'm in my early thirties. I shouldn't be having back pain during a workout and so on and so forth. So, with that kind of came a little bit of a paradigm shift with respect to priority. So I started to focus a little bit more on mobility. So you can do that in any number of ways. Like, and this is, I consider this sort of ancillary work, not necessarily warm up per se. So, you know, when you are finished working out or like well beforehand, or even on a day where you're not doing any active lifting, you get a medicine ball and kind of roll it on your upper ear glutes and your lower back. You know, I have a um, massage gun that I absolutely swear by. I've taken to doing yoga. Um, you know, I, I do yoga several times a week. And I tell you what, I mean, I feel really good. So, I mean, just sort of personally speaking, when I had kind of shifted the focus from, you know, I got to PR all my lifts and I got to add more weight and things like that to I got to sustain this and I have to focus on not injuring myself. And, and the, you know, so once that sort of priority shift happened, I think it really became much more sustainable in the long term for me. You know, when you talk about proper warm-up for Olympic weightlifting, there's a pretty famous weightlifting coach called Mike Bergener. And there's something called the Bergener workout or sort of warm-up. And it's basically cycling through these movements in sort of a graded progressive pattern without even putting a single weight on it. So you have an empty barbell and you first just kind of do a muscle snatch and then you do a couple of those and then you do 
a little dip and a power snatch. And then, so you're not even going below parallel until you've really started to loosen these shoulders up and things like that. So, you know, progressive, deliberate, steady warm up with no weight, I think is a proper way to do it for Olympic weightlifting. And then, of course, you have that extra ancillary medicine ball, you know, stuff and yoga, whatever, whatever it is, you, you know, you need to stretch out. I swear by it. Now, for those who uh, haven't gone to our site, if you go to our site or if you're watching this video and you get a chance to see G.I. Jeff, this guy is tatted up. <laughs> so for all those people talking crap about doing yoga and all the stretching, listen, this guy does it. It's it's as manly as it gets when you're in the gym lifting. Very very zen when it comes to my tattoos as well. So yeah, <laughs> it, it just shows that you know a lot a lot of these guys out there, especially guys, are you know oh I'm not gonna go and jump into a yoga studio or anything like that. But as you just stated, you know um, you will hit PRs when you're more flexible, when you can move properly, um, and things like yoga and stretching are so important. You know I see a lot of guys jump in the gym and. They don't stretch. They don't warm up. Um, you know, you talked about using the medicine ball or even like stuff like foam rollers. Uh, I know that uh, Shreve Ultra Fit also has a massage gun, and I've used that thing, and it's amazing. So the hyperball, baby, the best invention ever. Listen, oh, it really is. <laughs> but the the thing about it is, you don't see a lot of people using these things, um, and it just shows, you know, that. There's a lot out there that we need to learn about as far as it's it's more than just going in the gym and, you know, doing these power lifts. You want to stave off injuries. you got to do the things that G.I. Jeff and Shreve Ultrafit are talking about. So I'm saying it back to you, uh, Doc Mott. Yeah, even investing in just a lacrosse ball and a, a big, long rubber band and a foam roller. I mean, you know, here we talk about maximal being. And again, it's all relative. It's about getting to that next level of whatever your personal wellness goal is. And for me, you know, I, I, I echo everything around around the, the horn here that it wasn't until I started making mobility a priority for myself that I that I started to hit personal records or um, in terms you know, one of the things not to sort of interrupt you there, Doc Mock, but it's, no, it's, you know, some some sort of potential criticism or sort of like complaints that I could anticipate. You know, well, it's it's a time issue. It's an extra, you know, like I, I only have so much time in the day. And even getting sort of motivated enough to work out can be a challenge, right? Okay, that's all well and good. So then the question becomes, how do you become more efficient with your time? So I keep a, a hard sort of rubber ball type medicine ball in my car. I have a relatively long commute to work. And if I had a rough workout the day before, I'm drinking my coffee in the morning, listening to the you know New York Times, and I get the medicine ball and I roll my back out or you know, if my hammies are tight from doing deadlifts, I, you know, I'm driving my car, rolling them. So I'm working on my mobility while I'm drinking my coffee and driving work. So it's, it's one of those things where it doesn't have to be this whole separate thing that you make into an issue. I mean, you can sort of incorporate this pretty seamlessly into your routine. And I think it really does pay dividends when it comes to the rest of your kind of fitness regimen. You know what I mean? Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. And the evidence. And yeah. I have a gun and use it all the time while I'm driving in. Sometimes I get these weird looks from like people next to me and I'm like, all right, I probably feel better than you in a few minutes. Yeah. But yeah, it's the, you can definitely incorporate it at, at any point um, during the day. And um, I feel like most people that say they don't have time are using that as an excuse because no matter how busy you are, I feel like you can dedicate 
10 to 15 minutes to yourself. You owe it to your body, you owe it to your health, you owe it to your to yourself, to your family, you know, everything, it all prolongs your, your health longevity, right? Um, and it's a very crucial part of training. Recovery is a very crucial part because if you don't recover properly, you cannot push as much weight the next day. You cannot perform as good. So it's definitely um, a key component to um, changing your body. Yeah, absolutely. The the evidence matches exactly what you're all saying. And, you know, there are numerous studies looking at just Olympic weightlifting or a CrossFit style program with a lot of Olympic weightlifting built into it. And again, that argument that you're going to get injured turns out not to be true. I was only able to find one small study where the injury rates were higher with a CrossFit style Olympic weightlifting program. And that person, you could tell in reading the article, had it out for CrossFit. It was like a personal vendetta article. Um, including there, there was one systematic review. So again, a systematic review is where you take all these studies that are smaller, you lump them together to try and see a, a better um, outcome or a more significant outcome. And again, there's no difference between a standard training regimen and incorporating these Olympic lifts into your program. What do you guys think are the most common injuries that can occur um, in Olympic weightlifting? Have you guys ever had any? Oh, yeah. I have had um, two, actually. I have had shoulder injuries, um, and I have had back injuries. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, as uh, G.I. Jeff talked about earlier, um, when you have shorter arms, not necessarily shorter arms, but shorter than mine, like I can literally scratch my knee standing up. That's how long my arms are. Um, <laughs> you know, when I first started um, doing power lifting, of course, I, I was younger. So, you know, it was a numbers game. And I learned very quickly that, yeah, you want to be a, you want to be into numbers, then you'll be out of the gym real quick. Um, but, you know, I sustained uh, lower back injuries um, and I have sustained uh, shoulder injuries. And it's basically because I wasn't stretching. Um, as G.I. Jeff mentioned earlier, you know, jumped in the gym and just tossed weight on. Um, so I think that's something that comes with maturity um, and wisdom as you work out more and more. And I think that I would I would like to see younger people do more stretching and do uh, take the time to educate themselves on the proper way to lift. So shoulders and back for me. I feel like with powerlifting, yeah, I would I would say the first thing that I mean I'm not a powerlifter, but. This is an educated guess. Probably the back and the knees would be, you know, the first thing to blow out. All that, all that stress on your joints, you know, again, it's about numbers. So the higher you get with your numbers, the more pressure, compression you have on your spine, doing all these lifts and jerks. Um, not to say that it's a bad sport at all, because, you know, you do what you enjoy. I, I practice MMA. Who says that's safe, right? You, you can hurt yourself at any point. So it, it comes down to what you love to do and, and your your passion. But as long as you practice proper form and, you know, hopefully you'll stay safe. Injury is part of the process. You will get injured sooner or later, no matter how, how much of a professional you are. But like Jeff said, the more you're able to control it, the better form, the less injuries you will sustain along your journey, right? So, I mean, the best of us athletes get injured all the time. It's just knowing your body, understanding what you can and cannot do, and hopefully um, 
taking less and less beating on the body, less injuries with proper form. What do you think, Jeff? I, I echo that and I completely agree. I mean, you know, I, I do have issues with patellar tendinopathy in my knees. And I think that I, I kind of have a bad um, habit sometimes at the bottom of a squat, especially when I have heavier loads on to sort of anteriorly displace my knees. So I'm kind of moving forward a little bit. That's those. more of a, a bad habit that I developed. Um, so it's just kind of achy knees that I've dealt with. Unfortunately, nothing structurally is wrong with my knees. Uh, I did have a minor lower back injury. It was a muscle strain and that was coming up on a snatch that I wasn't properly under tension when I began the movement. So it was sort of on the deadlift portion of it. Fortunately, that resolved, you know, after a couple of weeks, just sort of, you know, with the rest and ice and all that kind of stuff. So back and back knees, knees for sure at risk. Yeah. But again, you know, to echo, to echo what, what Sharif was saying, you know, nothing that you do in the gym is without risk. Nothing. But you need to put that up against, you know, not doing anything. <laughs> you know, what, what is your life if you're not going to do anything with regards to physical fitness or whatever? I mean, what's the greater risk? You know what I mean? You're, you're going to have a, a sore knee, the, you know, off the ice every once in a while. Okay, fine. So, you know, nothing substitutes technique um, and consistency, I think, is also a really important one. But it's all about relative risk and what you're willing to accept and what you're not willing to accept. For me, not to sort of get too much on a soapbox or off on a tangent here, but, you know, I, I'm a diabetic. I've had type one diabetes for 32, almost 33 years. So, you know, me not working out, you know, that's not an option. I'm not going to sort of run the risk of vascular disease and all that kind of crazy stuff. If I have to have achy knees, then you know what? That's a risk I'm willing to accept. Yeah. So I, I'd rather have, I have, I'd rather have achy knees than heart disease any day. So Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> You know, and either that way, is, you're going to go through the struggle, right? So either go through the struggle of like building your body and health and heart with a few aches here and there, or you don't do any of that, and you don't have to deal with the bad knees and stuff, but you have to deal with obesity, heart diseases, and you're in and out of doctors and ERs and shots here and there and medication. So, like you said, it's it's checks and balances, man. It's what you want from life. It's how you want to treat your body, your family, your future, really. It's all for you. Interestingly, you mentioned cardiovascular outcomes because there actually is a direct benefit to your heart and your vasculature with doing Olympic weightlifting. And so we pulled a bunch of articles on this and looked at your arterial stiffness changes when you train over time. Um, the the tonicity, meaning the you know the ability for your arteries to squeeze and move the blood to the tissues goes up during weightlifting and that's kind of a self-limited benefit, but your vessels over time are less responsive to, to bad changes. So if you were to say, be stressed at home or at work, your vessels in a training uh, person, somebody that's been able to acclimate to a training environment are better suited to deal with stress over time. Also your heart changes, right? When you're, when you're a trained athlete, your heart will, will, uh, increase in strength as well, but not in a in a bad way where it's interfering with its ability to do its work, such as in somebody that has congestive heart failure. It in, it increases the muscular activity without greatly interfering with its its actual function. What about you know some some benefits to to hormones? Right, testosterone is super important for being able to to gain muscle. Do you, what are some impacts that weightlifting could have on your on your hormones and? testosterone 
Well, it's, I mean, it's proven that like squats, chest presses, all that boosts your testosterone right naturally. So, I mean, Olympic lifters, they do a lot of those boys. So I could imagine the testosterone level. It's pretty high. And I think that I, I agree. I mean, those, those sort of those kind of core compound movements have certainly been proven to boost testosterone. But a lot of it is sort of the stuff that you're not necessarily getting from direct the gym. When you think about it, the people who train in these, these movements seriously, it usually comes part and parcel with a certain kind of lifestyle and a certain kind of diet, too. So there's foods that will boost that as well. And you're more likely to eat these types of foods and eat this way when you do take training seriously. So it's kind of it's sort of working together synergistically. I think. Agreed. Yeah, it's definitely a multi multifactorial, but directly, at least they've measured that your cortisol levels do tend to drop on a global scale. So that's your stress hormone and your testosterone levels do tend to go up, which is good for men and women for muscle growth and general health. Um, you also, you know, we talked a little bit about longevity here in the room. You have guys that are all either 40 or pushing 40 and we're talking about weightlifting. You know, I definitely what have some grays about? that are popping up here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 21. Yeah, can, <laughs> yeah. you do, can you sustain this over a long period of time? You know, can you do this into your 60s and 70s? What do you think, GI Jeff? You know, I'll I tell you what, obviously that's the goal, right? I mean, but I'll qualify that. You know, do I realistically expect that I'm going to be snatching 200 pounds when I'm 60 years old? No. I mean, and that's fine. But the whole idea is that you stay consistent with it enough, you listen to your body enough, and you understand when it's time to maybe back down on the intensity or back down on the weight. If you look at, so the CrossFit Games, which is like the Olympics of CrossFit, right? They have age divisions. And these men and women in the master's division, 50 years and, and older, are impressive. I mean, not only in what they can do physically, the ways they move, the way that they look I mean, like the way that, I mean, it is really, so to answer your question, is it possible? You bet it's possible. You know, I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years when I'm 50, which is really crazy to say out loud, by the way. But, <laughs> it's that but, far you know, out. I think the whole idea is like when you have a certain foundation of certain strength and you know what you're doing and you know what, how to listen to your body, you can sort of scale that appropriately. So no, I don't really expect to be thrown around the weights that a 25-year-old is going to throw around, but that's okay. I mean, my goal isn't necessarily to bulk up or beat these people in a competition. It's to sort of maintain my current level of fitness and health for as long as I possibly can. Fellas? I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I am actually 40. I turned 40 this year. Um, and what I noticed is with the education that I've uh, – you know, gained through the years of lifting and being physically fit, um, I'm able to pack on muscle, you know, quicker than maybe the average person because of the fact that I've been doing it so long and I know how to do it um, and I'm smart with it. Uh, I, I believe it's the same thing for, for you guys because, um, G.I. Jeff, I mean, if, if you look at yourself, you know, when you were 25, do you think you're in better shape now or were you in better shape back then? Did you know I think I'm in a better shape now. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you're older, but it's because you have the knowledge and wisdom um, that you gained through the years. Um, same thing with you, Sharif UltraFit. I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, how before you were skinnier and you've packed on the muscles and if you, you're, you're getting older. You know, none of us are getting younger, but I believe that 
That's a flex, you ladies and gentlemen. Your way back. <laughs> but but I believe that um, with age, we have just gained so much knowledge and wisdom, and we're doing things smarter and better. Um, uh, Doc Mock, I remember when you used to run like crazy. And I mean, when I say crazy, this guy, he basically was running marathons. Um, but you're in better shape now. Um, than you were back, you know, when you were just doing the the running and not the lifting portion of it. But once again, it it, it I think becoming older in the fitness game has definitely had its benefits. Like GI Jeff said, are we going to be able to at 50, 60 years old, you know, snatch, you know, 200 pounds? I mean, probably. I I, I think we could do it. I'm just joking, but um, <laughs> it's not about the numbers. It's not about numbers. It's how you look. Um, and it's echoing back to our conversation earlier about, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be 60 years old sitting in front of your TV with a bare belly? Or do you want to be 60 years old, you know, still being able to, you know, <clears throat> live a healthy life? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you guys anymore. Um, listen, there's uh, there's a lot of pros to being 50, 60 in the game, honestly, um, there's muscle maturity, which is a huge part of it, right? Your muscles mature way more as that old man strength that everybody talks about, right? Like <laughs> I was lifting since I've been lifting since I was 16 and I had muscles when I was 21, 22, but they were not shaped like they are now, honestly, like the definition and all that. So as you get older, the muscle maturity, the experience, um, most likely you understand and you know your body by now, you know what to do and not to do. So there's a lot of advantage to that and you could do it now. I'm not saying it, take, it takes, it's a long process. You got to start at a young age to be able to maintain it to 60. You can't start when you're 50 and expect to be a beast when you're 60, right? So it, it's, again, it's a journey, but if you keep that journey clean and do your best every day to improve, there is no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it at 60, 65. I mean, we live in South Florida. You see all these 65, 70-year-old men golfing, playing tennis, running all the time. Back to what Jeff says, you don't have to lift as much as you did when you were 21, 25. But for a 65, 70-year-old man, you're moving around, you're playing tennis, you're golfing, you're going to lunches and brunches where all most of the other 65-year-old people are in a nursing home or in and out of hospitals, right? So there, there's a lot of benefits that go with it. It's just a matter of sticking with the journey, um, staying consistent and staying disciplined, honestly, because without discipline, you'll never start. Without consistency, you'll never finish. So as long as you have those two, I think you're good to go. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of mindset, man. It's a strong mindset to, to, to stay consistent day in and day out through injuries, through bad diets, through... Um, hardships whether it's work relationships this or that it's it's a long hard path but if you have the mindset there's no reason why you should do it those are some excellent points and and the literature again matches exactly what you guys are saying you know they they've looked at senior athletes they termed them versus college athletes they trained them over a period of time they had exactly the same benefits both in terms of strength and performance and their muscles actually behaved exactly the same over time when they were trained in, in a barbell based regimen. So it, you can do it over time, stay safe and, and listen to what everybody here is saying. I think we're going to wrap up our primary topic. So I'm going to take it back to Sharif UltraFit with just some parting 
uh, words on our topic. Yes, um, don't be afraid to power lift. That's, I mean, that's our topic today. So don't be afraid to power lift, just practice proper form. Start with even just a bar if you have to stay consistent, um, do it day in, day out. Um, and the numbers will increase as your form gets better and better with time. Just just take the time to do it. Don't rush anything. Trust the process and go through the proper steps with anything. Jeff? I agree. You know, these movements are fun. They're nuanced. They are really beneficial for so many different reasons. Um, you could do it every day and find one other little detail to kind of focus on. But I think to echo what Sharif was saying is that, you know, you try to find something that you can stick with um, and sort of really become consistent with, because consistency ultimately is one of the most important things when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, to not let yourself get derailed by a bad day or by a bad diet or a weekend away or so on and so forth. It's just sort of you develop that mindset and you rewire your brain to say, you know what, this is something that I want to continue to do. And when you have that consistency, you learn on the mechanics, you kind of wire that stuff in and you really stick to it. And that's when you really see the benefits. But these things are so much fun to do. Obviously, I, I could have done tutorials over here, but it's hard to not do in person. And but, you know, I think if you've ever been curious about it, I, you know, I really would encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I will say that um, if you're new at it, seek the help of a fitness trainer such as G.I. Jeff or Sharif UltraFit. Um, yeah, there's a lot of articles out there to read. And, you know, even Maximum Being, we have some great articles on the website. Um, but nothing beats, you know, seeking the help of a experienced trainer. Um, this is important because it takes away the uh, the urge to just go in there and do it, uh, which will lead to injuries. And, you know, nobody wants to be injured. Yes, we have talked about over time, we'll have little injuries here and there, but seeking the proper help and uh, sticking with what that help says uh, will definitely benefit you in the long run. So I think the most important thing uh, is go to an expert. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you've been contemplating the intermittent fasting lifestyle, well, I wanted to let you in on a rising star available right now for free. The benefits of intermittent fasting include improvement in metabolic syndrome and cell recycling through autophagy, which has the potential to aid in cancer prevention and longevity. Additionally, a great side effect of fasting is losing fat. Fasting comes naturally to us as humans, getting back to our ancestral roots. It is an amazing alternative to fad diets and completely free of bro science. Though just not eating may seem easy, fasting is a lifestyle with more nuance and depth. So sophisticated, in fact, that the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the top medical journals, published a scientific review in 2019 on the subject. Adding further merit, autophagy, central to fasting, earned Dr. Oshumi a Nobel Prize in 2016. To harness the power of fasting today, we at Maximal Being recommend Fastic. Fastic is an app and online program designed to deliver you continuous intermittent fasting success. Through community support, motivation, and realistic metrics, Fastic will walk you through the fasting process and get you leaner 
and healthier. Just download it today for free on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. Enter your height, weight, and goals and receive a custom plan within seconds. Try it today, Maximal Beings, and maximize your pathway to wellness. All right, so um, we're going to go to listener mail. Becky wrote us and said, what are the best things you can use in the home to work out with? I'm going to hand this over to GI Jeff to start off the topic. Okay, uh, well, the quickest answer is you don't need anything. Um, You know, we can, I I can kind of, I'll write an article if you like for the website for some uh, body weight movements, but if you're curious as to see what you need to do a quick workout, go into your garage and do a hundred burpees as fast as you can and see how that makes you feel afterwards. Um, that's a workout. Let me promise you, you can do push-ups, sit-ups, squats, burpees. You can use a chair or a table for dips to get some tricep work in. There are any number of combinations of things that you can use in the house, including just sort of a floor. So I don't really think that, you know, if you have dumbbells, that's a great thing. You can certainly supplement that to any kind of body weight workout, but I argue strongly that they're not necessary. I agree. I agree with Jeff. Um, burpees. That was my exercise of choice last podcast, right? (laughs) You certainly don't need any weights. I mean, weights are great if you have them, but you don't need any weights. You could get a great, um, exercise or workout using just your body weight. You'll be surprised what you could do with your body weight. And I mean, if, you, if you're if you one of those that like to have a toy to play with, like Jeff said, you can use your chair for dips, push-ups, um, shoulder raises, shoulder presses. You could even use a towel, um, just hold it over your head and squat with it. You could use a towel for bent over rows. You can do so much um, with no weights. Um, where there is a will, there is a way. So as long as you want it, you'll find something to do. You can research stuff. You could... Um, you could ask a professional if you're really that lost and somebody will help you. You don't need the weights. You just need your heart, your your, your mental um, strength and just consistency. Totally agree. Um, you guys took the words right out of my mouth. You don't need any weights. Now, if you're someone that says, well, I want to lift something, that's fine. Um, grab items around the house. You can do uh, jugs of water. You can do paint cans. Um, you can, once again, use a chair for dips and you can place items on like your lap, but also be careful when doing these things. Um, nothing beats body weight because it's free. You know, (laughs) you don't have to, especially if you're, if you're in a hot area right now, uh, with COVID and you, you don't want to leave your home to, you know, go grocery shopping or any of that stuff. Listen, your, your body is free. Use it. Use it for to your advantage. Um, but once again, paint cans, jugs of water, children, lift your children, lift your dog, you know, but just be careful because, you know, maybe you're not used to this type of weight or the movement that comes with this type of weight. Um, children, children move around, you know, so you, you can't injure yourself that way. But I will definitely echo what our two uh, experts say and just use body weight. It comes back to building a good base, right? We talked about building a good base. And in order for you to have a good base, you should be able to handle your body weight in all types of forms, right? Incline, decline, flat. Um, you shouldn't really be thinking about carrying weights unless you've perfected your own body weight. Then you can move on to dumbbells, bars, whatever it is. But until then, 
How do you expect to have a proper form if you can't even handle your own body? Well put. Um, nice, consistent answers across the board. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Question number two is from Sonny. So I think this is going to be more GI Jeff and myself, but you know, guys, let us know what you think. Is the carnivore diet good for inflammatory bowel disease? And this this comes from a post I put up on social media about a study out of Miami looking at different diets and how it impacts inflammatory bowel disease. So what is the carnivore diet? And is it good for inflammatory bowel disease, meaning Crohn's and ulcerative colitis? GI Jeff. Doc Mock, I don't know what your practice has been, but when I have a Crohn's or an ulcerative colitis patient, I generally don't restrict their diet. Um, now, th that being said, they might be sensitive to certain foods, but that's usually a function of the inflammation rather than the disease itself. So based on what I understand, and you're a little bit more academic than I am, Doc Mock, but the only diet that's ever been proven to influence disease activity we're talking about, not symptoms, is the elemental diet, which is sort of tube feeds and really not palatable. So the most honest answer is I'm not completely sure what a carnivore diet is. I'm just assuming it's a whole crap load of meat. And to my knowledge, there's no scientifically proven effect on its actual inflammatory activity in the gut. Um, when we're talking about anything, when it comes to supplements, there's been some evidence behind turmeric as a supplement. But in terms of diets, exclusion diets, whatever, to my knowledge, there's really no hard science there. So as a practice, a practicing physician, I generally am in favor of patients eating what they want to eat. Dr. Yeah. Mock? Yeah. So the carnivore diet is a, a newly popular as of the last few years diet where essentially you ditch most of your vegetables and you just eat meat all the time. So who doesn't want to eat it? Yeah. It's like a South Park episode, I swear. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's been debated about uh, the anti-inflammatory benefits of this type of diet. And and my response back to um, Sonny was essentially that not all meat is created equally, right? There are meats that come and grow and live in feedlots and they're fed grains. And these tend to be pro-inflammatory types of meat. And then there are grass-fed grains that are raised in the manner that they're supposed to be, where they're able to go out to pasture. And that is high quality meat. It tastes different. It tastes better. It has less inflammatory properties. I, I totally agree with GI Jeff down there that there is not one diet that works for inflammatory bowel disease or ulcerative colitis. Every single patient is different. And, uh, you know, for you listeners out there that are suffering from it, you're probably a young person or you've been somebody that has had it since you are a young person. And these are all people that are young and sick and they need to be able to do something for a long period of time. And so telling them to eat a paste through a feeding tube is not a sustainable solution. So you do a little bit of food experimentation. The most common things that I've found that help, yes, turmeric has really great scientific evidence or curcumin is kind of the pill form basis. That that actually will induce inflammatory bowel disease and, and be able to um, cause remission. And in fact, they've noticed a trend in people from Southeast Asia who tend to eat more turmeric that they will start to have Crohn's and ulcerative colitis newly diagnosed when they immigrate to the United States because their diet is lacking a lot of these iodovic, you know, uh, spices. Um, lactose intolerance runs very commonly with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. But apart from that, there's really not a single diet that works. I've had success in my practice in working on a, an autoimmune protocol type diet, which essentially is eating real food, no processed stuff, but then you also eliminate things like garlic and eggplant, so the nightshade vegetables. 
And then I actually had a patient, he was a young person that did not want any medicines. And we, he wanted to try being vegan to see if that helped. And so, you know, you form a therapeutic partnership with your patients and he is in remission and doing very well and has failed multiple different medications in the past. So uh, to answer your question, if you have it, try it. Sure. Um, but just make sure that you're choosing quality proteins. And in general, it's good to have micronutrients. I don't necessarily vouch for the carnivore diet, but certainly worth experimenting to. There is no research. I, to, I will also sort of interject really quick there. That, yeah. You know, it would be fine to try, but it's also not a substitute for actually forming a relationship with your gastroenterologist <laughs> and following the actual scientifically based medical recommendations that come that way. But yeah. I would agree with you. I'd be okay with the patient trying it. Um, as long as I didn't think it was hurting them. Yeah. Sounds like a very expensive diet. Yeah. Especially if you yeah. get quality meat, right? meats all the time. Yeah, it yeah. does sound expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're also missing out on micronutrients and phytochemicals and all these things that you get from plants that are very important for your general health. Okay. Well, that wraps up podcast uh, number six. It has been a pleasure to talk with all of you gentlemen. I feel like it was a wonderful conversation. Um, anybody have any additional parting thoughts? Um, about the topic. No, I'm just glad to be able to join you guys. It was really nice meeting you. Um, and I hope to certainly be able to do this again. Oh, stay stay Jeff, down there, fellas. Thank you. Appreciate it. And GI Jeff, we look forward to having you on more often as well. Awesome. Awesome. Sharif UltraFit, where can people find you? And that's Sharif, S-H-E-R-I-F. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Sharif UltraFit. I am also on Facebook, Sharif Abdelatif. And... You'll find me on the Maximo Being page as well. You can talk to any of these fine gentlemen via email if you head on over to MaximalBeing.com and click the About button. We all have email addresses. Feel free to reach out. You can also head on over to our contact page and actually send us a voicemail. Um, and we can hear your voice and you can yell at us whatever you want to do. If you want a custom fitness, nutrition, or gut health plan in a holistic basis, please, uh, you know, hit the uh, the shop button and we also have a lot of great gear on there so that wraps up podcast number six it's great talking to you all and i'm doc mock and this is the max thanks for podcast. having me see you guys see ya see ya